Welcome and thank you for tuning into this week's life-changing message from the Equipping Church. We pray you are empowered and encouraged by the Word of God. Father, we thank you for your Word this morning. As we get ready to dive into it, Father, I thank you that your anointing makes preaching easy. And I thank you that when your Word goes forth this morning, that it would be clear that you've touched your people. I recognize my complete and total dependence on you this morning. God, I can't do this without you. But in you I live and move and have my being. And I thank you, Father, that it's you who sets people free. It's you, it's your word that is alive and it's active. And we give you worship this morning, God. We worship you, mighty God, because of who you are. Because of who you are. It's not because of anything that we've done, but because of who you are. Oh, we need you, God. We need you, God. We need more. We can't be satisfied, church. You can't be satisfied with your current current relationship in him. You've got to have more. There's always more in Him. We thank you, Father, this morning for your presence in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, welcome to church. Glad you're here this morning. Those of you who don't know me, I'm Pastor Jacob. I have the incredible privilege of being the lead pastor here in I know we have a number of visitors with us this morning, so we want to welcome you and say you're welcome in this house. We're glad you're with us. Uh, I'm going to dive into the Word this morning. We're wrapping up a series uh, that I've kind of jumped back in titles between fireworks and month of the Holy Spirit. So uh, whatever you want to call the series, call it that. Uh, But this morning as we wrap up this series, uh, the title of my message this morning is By the Spirit. By the Spirit. B-Y, not B-U-I. By the Spirit. And I want you to turn in your Bible to Zechariah chapter 4. Zechariah chapter 4. And we're going to read verses 1 through 6 to get started this morning. Uh, If you have kids ages uh, 2 to 10, they can go back to children's ministry if they haven't already. Uh, Again, Zechariah chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Then the angel who was speaking with me returned and roused me as a man who was awakened from his sleep. He said to me, what do you see? And I said, I see and behold a lampstand, all of gold with its bowl on the top of it and its seven lamps on it, which seven spouts belonging to each of the lamps, which are on the top of it. Also two olive trees by it, one on the right side of the bowl and the other on its left side. Then I said to the angel who was speaking with me, what are these, my Lord? So the angel who was speaking with me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. Then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. I want to give you some context for this passage this morning. Israel as a nation... had had 70 years under captivity and Babylonian rule. And now this remnant has returned to the land and to Jerusalem. They've come back and they're faced with the task of rebuilding 
the nation, rebuilding the temple and rebuilding the city of Jerusalem. It had been in ruins and they had experienced 70 years of pain. 70 years of being controlled, marginalized under the yoke of slavery. They had had 70 years of facing rejection and negativity. And at this point, Israel is pretty broken. And when you go through that much trauma for 70 years, it does something to you. When you're marginalized, when you're placed into a position of being considered no more than like an animal, it leaves you with no personal value, no self-esteem. I mean, here they are. They're broken. They're beat down. Any of us ever been there this morning? Any of us ever felt marginalized, rejected, pushed aside? I don't fit in. I, I don't even recognize the landscape of my life anymore. Trauma will do that to you. Trauma will cause you to believe a different narrative than the truth. And trauma comes in all sorts of ways. It comes in all sorts of things that we walk through. And I will tell you, the children of Israel at this point, they're, they're traumatized. But through God's miraculous intervention, they've returned to Jerusalem. They've returned to their land. But they are facing this daunting task of rebuilding. And the question that they really have at this point is, how do we do this? How do we rebuild what we're called to rebuild when we have no resources? We have lack on every side. The materials are not available and our faith has been battered. And I think that's a question that a lot of us face when we come to a new season of time. We come into a new season. God might be transitioning us into a new church. We might be transitioning into a new job. We might be transitioning into a new relationship. We can be facing new in many aspects of our life. And we go, how do I build? I don't even, I don't feel like I have the resources anymore. I don't feel like I understand how to build. I've been through so much trauma. I've been through so much stuff. I don't know how to face this new landscape. Anyone ever been there? We, we, we come to a, a new thing and we've got all the trauma maybe of the last 10 years, maybe of the last 20 years, maybe. And maybe it wasn't that so much our, our life was bad, but we went through some bad things. And those things that we walk through leave us and, and we come to this place and their faith has been battered. Now, now, the thing about the children of Israel, their captivity was their own fault. I mean, you read the narrative of the children of Israel and time and time again, I'm like, oh my gosh, like when, when did, did they ever get it? And then I look at my own life and go, well, I don't ever get it. So I guess, I guess I can really relate to that. Just when I think I've got the, you know, the, the, the thing in, in line, I go, oh, well, there I did it again. Uh, went around that mountain another time, believed that lie again, walked in that narrative and so here they are. Their captivity had been their own fault. They're, they're, they disobeyed God. And yet even through that, their return was miraculous. And even with the miraculous return, they, they still had some issues regarding God, which were huge. Some belief systems regarding God. God, we prayed and, and we feel like you didn't answer. Anyone ever felt like that? You, you prayed for some things and it felt like the answer didn't come. And, and we, we begin to develop these belief systems about God like, oh, God doesn't answer prayer. We believe and nothing happened. We read the word and there's, there's no answers. And, and we start to have these ideas that God has failed us. But let me just interject right there. God will never fail you. The answers 
often look different than what we prayed them to be, but he's still the healer. He's still the deliverer. He's still the provider and he's faithful. And so in this story in Zechariah 4, the prophet's there and he begins a series of prophecies speaking of the coming Messiah, God's favor, what God is going to do. But what good is that? Because I think we all have had maybe some prophetic words, right? Anyone ever had a prophetic word, but your circumstance does not line up to the prophetic word? And you're like, oh, that's a great word. Hallelujah. What does it do for me right now? Bank account's still the same. Body's still the same. Nothing's changed. What a prophetic word does, and you need to understand this, is a prophetic word is an anchor of hope in another season to pull you through your current circumstances. When God prophesies something into your spirit, whether it be through a prophetic utterance or even just through the word of God, it is the powerful pull of the future to get you through your current circumstance. So I've got prophetic words that I got 20 years ago that I know are from the Lord. My circumstances look nothing like those prophetic words. And through, through circumstances and through issues and through uh, traumatizations and through all these things that have happened in my life, I could very easily go, that word is no longer applicable, just let it die. But God sends the prophet in Zechariah to remind the people that the Messiah was coming, that God's favor was going to be on them, and about what God was going to do. And as they look at the task of rebuilding before them and the lack of resources, their disappointment with God, confusion and troubled hearts, the prophet makes the most profound of statements. Zechariah 4.6 Then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. When faith has seemed to fail, when God had seemed to have forgotten, when the needs were overwhelming, where the support structures have failed, where hopelessness seems to be the message of the circumstance, God intervenes and he says, it is not by might, it is not by power, but it is by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. You can't make it happen on your own. You can't change the circumstance entirely. But what you can do is begin to lean into the Spirit of God and say, I don't have the strength, I don't have the power, but I've got the Holy Ghost. I've got the Spirit of God on the inside of me. I've got the Eternal One. I've got the King of Kings who issues edicts on my behalf. I've got the One who was and is and is coming back. Don't believe the narrative that He's not coming back. That's heresy. He's coming back in clouds of glory. He's coming back and I've got him on the inside in the in-between time. And what I've learned through my life is he is the God of the in-between. Is that we live in one dispensation of time, longing for another dispensation of time. But what do I do in the in-between? I lean into his spirit. I lean into his presence. And it is in his presence that I find both the fullness of joy and the joy of the Lord becomes my strength. So I've got the powerful pull of the future drawing me towards a season that I may not see yet. But it's not by my might. And it's not by my power. But it's by his spirit, says the Lord. And when you get that in you, it rings true. The might of many will not achieve this. The power of people cannot achieve this. 
We can often say, if we only had this, and if we only had better resources, and if we only had more finances, and if we only had more time, we could accomplish this work. But the prophet says this, you have to get over thinking this will be done by your strength and power. That waiting for a better day or a better time, oh, I'll start serving the Lord when? I'll start being obedient when? I'll start coming to prayer when? You'll never have it all together, folks. I don't have it all together. You don't have it all together. Let's all not have it all together together. (laughs) No, now is the day because it's not by might nor by power, but by the spirit. Wherever you are in life's journey, the day comes when we face obstacles of impossible circumstances where you can't manipulate resources and people to achieve stuff. See, we're, we're fixers, right? Anybody a fixer in the room this morning? Is that just me? We try to fix it all up, right? Okay, well, if I do this and if I call that person, if I do this and if I, maybe if I, I move this over here and do that, you, you will come to a point in your life, you can't fix it. Where you're out of your depth. Where you might be the most gifted person, you might have the most anointing in your perspective around your life, and all of a sudden you go, eh? Nothing. Nothing. I, I, I was thinking of a story uh, as I was preparing this message that, that one of my spiritual fathers, James Maloney, told. He was in India, and, and I was praying for India, and that's what brought up this, this memory. Because, by the way, if you're going to India with me, your deposit's due Wednesday. Just throwing that in there. Um, in, in India, he was there, and there was this little woman named Sister Alma. And Sister Alma was a good Methodist. Any good Methodists in the room? I found out I come from a long line of holiness Methodist preachers. Had no clue. Little Methodists didn't believe in the gifts of the Spirit. Didn't believe in speaking in tongues. Didn't believe in any of that. Just good missionary woman. Wanted to see people saved. And so Brother Maloney's doing this meeting in India. And this man walks up to get prayer. And all he's got is a hand on his shoulder. There's no arm there. Just a little hand. Just dangling right there. And James goes to pray for him and nothing happens. Nothing. Prays for him again. Here he is, the man of power for the hour. Nothing happens. And the Lord speaks to him and says, get Alma. He's like, get Alma. She's going to kill me. He's looking over at Alma on the front row and says, Alma, come here. And she gave him death stare. (laughs) And she walked over and she closed her eye and she stuck her hand out. She didn't even get the name Jesus out. And that hand shot through the air and landed on her head, but she thought it was a rat that had fallen from the ceiling. She ran out the door because in India, you know, they have rats. Not Texas rats, Indian rats. They're bigger. They're like small animals. Little dog. Um, Because it's not by might. And it's not by power. It's not by your anointing. It's not by your gift. It's not by your word of knowledge. It's by His Spirit. Because when God shows up, the impossible becomes possible. When God shows up, things that that were out of order all of a sudden have order. See, God brings us to a point where we have to understand this will not be achieved by human might and strength. He says to you, I'm bringing you to a point of having to face your weakness, face your inability, and draw upon the supernatural elements of the Spirit. Mark 10, 27, looking at them, Jesus said, With people it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible 
with God. It is a monumental mind shift from being the victim to realizing that an impossible circumstance is awaiting a supernatural God intervention. We can spend our life as victims of circumstances. We can spend our life as victims of sickness. We can spend our life as victims of poverty. But when I begin to understand that I serve a God of impossibilities and that if I will lean into his strength, because the Bible declares where I'm weak, his strength is put on display. So I recognize my weaknesses is a perfect opportunity for God to show up and to show off. So how do we access this dimension? How do we begin to walk in this? Number one, you need to acknowledge the situations needing a miracle. Whatever you're facing, you need miracles. I don't care how put together your life is, you need miracles. I don't care how messy your life is, you need miracles. No matter where you're at on the spectrum of life's journey, you need a miracle. And when we begin to acknowledge our need for miracles, I, I've often thought this. I never want to get to a place in my life where I'm content with the level of miraculous that I've had. I always want to believe for a bigger miracle. I always want to believe for the more. Because what it does is it challenges me to deal with the stuff on the inside. To deal with my mindsets, to deal with my own mental strongholds, to deal with my own insecurities, to deal with my own falters of faith. Because if I'll deal with those things, I become more like him. Because the chief end of man is to know God and to make him known. And so in my journey of knowing him, I become like him. The Bible says when we behold him, we will become like him. And so if I begin to behold the one who is, I can't help but be transformed by his spirit. We've got to be transformed, church. But to do so, we've got to acknowledge it. That's always the starting point is recognizing our need for supernatural intervention. The second thing that you must do is hear God. We've talked about journeying with the Holy Spirit for the last four weeks or three weeks, however long it's been. And all of it boils down to this one point, intimacy with God. We must be intimate with His Spirit. We must learn to hear His voice. We must know how to obey His voice. It's one thing for me to hear. It's another thing for me to obey. <coughs> because there is always, if you will, a download from heaven awaiting your attention. There's always a fresh manna for you from God through His Word, through His Spirit. <coughs> Excuse me. When Jacob came to the place of where he called Bethel, the house of God. When he came to that place, he saw the angels first ascending and descending. It teaches us a principle that there is always supernatural activity around us, that the angels are always ascending and descending. They're always going up to bring something down. I don't get into angel worship. I don't get into all that emphasis and all on the angelic like that. But let me tell you, they're real and they're active in our lives. And most often we entertain angels unaware. That's what the book of Hebrews says. But I'm telling you that God is working on our behalf and He has supernatural intervention. And He does it through the angelic realm because they are constantly ascending and descending. The Bible says that. That's scriptural. We need to recognize that. That there's always something available for us. That when we recognize that we have become the house of God, God doesn't dwell in this building. He dwells in you. He shows up because we show up. He shows up in your home when you show up in His presence. He doesn't dwell in buildings made by man. He once lived in a box, but He got out of the box and got into you. 
Used to be that if you touch the box, you died. Now he's on the inside of you, lest we touch his glory. Let that be a lesson for the New Testament church. Check out Ananias and Sapphira. The house of God. We must realize that worship is often the access point to his presence. If you don't have a worship life, you need one. And worship is not just songs. Worship is adoration of the King of Kings. Some people say, well, I can't sing. You don't need to sing to worship. You need to behold Him. You need to adore Him. Number three, you need to position your heart and mind to a position of faith confession. Now, I don't get into all of this positivity thinking that some people do, where if you say something negative, God's going to rip the blessing off your life. Some of that, sometimes you just need to get real and be like, God, this is how I feel. This is where I'm at. God's not intimidated by you. He's not intimidated by your real emotions. Some of you would go, my God, Pastor Jacob, did you say that to God? Yes, I did. I have those conversations with him because he's not intimidated by it. Because here's what I know. When I'm honest with God, he's honest with me. Because my little tantrum that I have is always met by the loving hand of the Father who chastens whom he loves. So I might have my little flesh flash in the car with him, and I might have my little burst out in the car and be like, God, I don't understand. He goes, okay. Let me tell you something. Oh, okay. But that's, that's the journey of intimacy with the Holy Spirit is that we're willing to be real with God. God is not impressed by our religiosity. He's not impressed by our, our, our ideas of what it means to pray. God's looking for a real people who are willing to get... I mean, if you read the Psalms, do you see what, G, what David says to God often? God, why have you forsaken me? We already know God doesn't forsake us. But David gets real with God. All through the Psalms, we read these, these incredible, incredible dialogue of, of David talking to God about where he is and how he feels and how, how he's surrounded on every side by enemies. And yet we find through the story that, that David finds solace in the presence of the Almighty. That he made the presence of the Almighty his abode. He found a place to hide in. They who dwell in the shelter of the Almighty. He gives us these principles. He's real. And then God transforms us. When we get real and we go, God, I'm angry about this. He can do that. But when we pretend and we're like, oh, I'm all put together. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord. I'm blessed and highly favored. I hate that person over there, but I'm blessed and highly favored. I'm offended with everybody around me, but I'm not going to let my face tell anybody that. I'm broken and hurting on the inside, but I'm blessed and highly favored on the outside. Get over that nonsense. Get real with face the issues, and then you really will be blessed and highly favored. I think we were taught, at least in my history, in the Word of Faith movement, that, that we just had to never have a negative confession out of our mouth. Sometimes we need to say, this is what's wrong with me. If you go to the doctor, you don't tell the doctor, figure it out. I'm just going to sit here. You just look at me and tell me what's wrong with me. You got to tell them, I have a lot of pain. How much more when we come to Dr. Jesus? How much more when we come to the great physician and we tell him, this is what I'm dealing with? I grew up around some of the most religious folks who on the inside were broken, messed up, full of demons, but they would have never confessed what they were going through because goodness forbid God ripped the anointing off their life. It wasn't hardly any there to begin with. 
Some of you caught that. That's okay. The language of faith. But, but here's what I want to say. If we only spend our life in, in doom and gloom and despair and how bad everything is, you'll never change either. If your confession is always, well, there's always something wrong, gloom, despair, misery on me. If that's how you spend your life, you'll never change either. You'll never have the anointing of God around your life. you got to get real and say, this is what's wrong, but I have a God who can change me. I've got a God who can transform me. And then you begin to make the confession of faith that he who began the good work in me is faithful to complete it. The language of faith is a releasing thing as you come into unity and agreement with God. The Psalms often started from a negative standpoint, but the psalmist soon moves to a position of faith. I told the story a few weeks ago about the woman who took the gun, put it on her bed, and said, God, before I take my life today, I just want to thank you for the things that you've done. And as she began to thank God for what he'd done, all of a sudden faith began to arise in her. She took that gun, put it back, and she said, I can face another day. It started with the negative. Sometimes we got to get it out. But then what we begin to find is we begin to confess our sins. We begin to confess our negative attitudes. The Bible says confess your sins one to another and he's faithful to heal you. If we'll just get real with it. It's not where you start that is important, but it's where you finish. The point you come to and always our walk in God should take us to the place of faith. And one of the keys to getting there is worship. Because worship elevates our spirits. It influences our minds. It impacts our viewpoint. What happens when you're worshiping God? It gets you off of your situation and circumstance. Gets you on to the one who's able to fix it. And then it begins to highlight what you need to do. It's important to move. And again, worship isn't just merely singing. It's awareness. Can I say that this worship is awareness? I'm going to say it one more time so you really get worship is awareness. You begin to get aware of his presence. You begin to become aware of his goodness. It's not something that we can intellectualize, but it it is an awareness. It's that I've come into the presence of the Almighty. It's the reason that even in my early Christian walk, my prayer was often, God, I want to have an ability to be aware of your presence. Make that your prayer. God, make me aware of your presence. Because when I'm aware of his presence, I I all of a sudden I'm not aware of all the other stuff. You need to learn to wait on God. That's point number four. Wait on God. With a faith position, you also understand heaven has its own timing. My goodness, have I learned that heaven has its own timing. Delay on, on my part is not denial on his part. You need to understand that. Delay on our part is not denial on his part. Just because there's a delay in our timing does not mean he's denied it. Hebrews 6.12 says this, So that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. See, I think so many times we get sluggish in our faith. But he says, I want you to learn this race of endurance. I want you to learn the the patience of waiting on my spirit so that you will be imitators of those who inherited the promise through patience and faith. Patience and faith, they, they they are partners. Persevering faith. Waiting out the journey. Sometimes the journey is a lot longer than we anticipated. Anybody ever been there? Impatience is often the obstacle to faith answers. 
Let me say that again. Impatience is often the obstacle to faith answers. That's why Ishmael was born to Abraham. Ishmael was born out of impatience. God had a promise for Abraham that Sarah would conceive a child. He did not say Hagar would conceive a child. But through impatience, Ishmael was born. So the key to waiting on God is living by confession and belief in the promise of God. And this is why worship is so important because it's about positioning our hearts and minds to receiving the promise of God. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. I'm going to head a little bit of a different direction then I'm going to wrap it up for you. Turn in your Bible to Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2 verse 23. Familiar passage. So shout for joy, you sons of Zion. And rejoice in the Lord your God, for He has given you the early rain for your vindication, (coughs) and He has brought down for you the rain. The early and latter rain is before. The threshing floors will be full of grain, and the vats will overflow with new wine and oil. That's our verse for this year, Joel 2.24. Then I will compensate you for the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the creeping locust, the stripping locust, and the gnawing locust. My great army which I sent among you. You will have plenty to eat and be satisfied. And you will praise the name of the Lord your God who has dwelt wondrously with you. Then my people will never be put to shame. So you will know that I am in the midst of Israel. And that I am the Lord your God and there is no other. And my people will never be put to shame. It will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will have dreams, your young men will see visions, and even on the male and female servants I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will display wonders in the sky and on the earth, blood, fire, and columns of smoke. This passage speaks of, and I'm still preaching from this idea of by the Spirit, but I want to add another layer to this, that the reign of God comes by His Spirit. And that we are beginning to step into, and I'm prophesying this to our house and to this nation, that we are coming into a season of the former and latter reigns at the same time. By His Spirit. What happened at Asbury was by His Spirit. If you've heard the message that kicked it off, he even texted his wife, well, that was a terrible message. I should never preach again. I've felt like that at times and saw God move wildly. By His Spirit. You need to catch that. By His Spirit. So the early rain came around October, November. It would soften the ground. It would enable plowing and the planting of seed. The latter rain around March is the rain that enables crops to be mature and and fully ready to be harvested. I want us to understand that that this is to be prophetic to the church, that the former rain being what came to soften the ground of the work of the kingdom, always looking toward a great harvest. The latter rain comes to mature and fully complete the work of the kingdom. And many passages make, make reference to this aspect of rain, referring to the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is often symbolized as rain. I want to prophesy to you this morning that I believe the month of April for this house will be setting in motion a new rain for this house. The Lord spoke to me in the middle of the night, wasn't in my notes, that April is going to be a month of new rain for this house. 
that we are stepping across a threshold. We crossed one in January, but there's another threshold that we're about to cross over because in the journey of following Jesus and following the breadcrumbs of the Holy Spirit, it is about crossing thresholds. And I believe that the month of April for this house, I'm prophesying it this morning, is going to be a month of new rain for this house. So new rain sets in motion new things. According to the culture of Israel, it was a great harvest. I want to look at Joel 2 again, verse 24. The threshing floors will be full of grain, and the vats will overflow with new wine and oil. I prophesied that January the 8th, that this year would be a year of the grain, the wine, and the oil. And I'm now adding to that prophetic word by the Spirit of God that we're about to step into the former and latter rains this year for this house. Acts 2 directly quotes from, from Joel 2. When Peter stands up, the Peter who once would deny Jesus stood up and preached and 3,000 were saved, he quotes it. And I want to compare it to one other passage. In Joel chapter 1, verse 3 and 5, it says, Tell your sons about it, and have your sons tell their sons, and their sons tell the next generation. I want to say to you that what's happening in this nation right now amongst Gen Z is a fulfillment of this word that the sons are telling the sons and the sons are telling the sons because it's a multi-generational move that cannot be controlled by man. Verse 4 says, What the gnawing locust has left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust had left, the creeping locust has eaten. And what the creeping locust has left, the stripping locust has eaten. Awake, you heavy drinkers, and weep, and wail, all you wine drinkers, because of the sweet wine, for it has been eliminated from your youth. This passage, real encouraging, right? It says, Everything that was, was gone. And the rest of you, you've fallen asleep drinking your wine. So wake up. We have so often been ransacked, broken down, life has attacked us and taken from us. But the promise is this, that under the work of the Holy Spirit, everything that has been broken down in us, the church, the families, etc., will be restored. And the promise in Joel 2 is that you will eat plenty and be satisfied. Can you imagine stepping into a day where you begin to eat plenty and be satisfied? You, no matter what was stripped from you, no matter what was eaten, broken down through life's experiences, will be restored. I'm prophesying it this morning, will be restored. And the work of the Holy Spirit that we just talked about by His Spirit is to ensure you will have more than you could ever have had without Him. And we must begin to position ourselves for His promises. New rain for new things. New rain for new things. New rain for new things. I'm telling you, there's a new rain coming to this house. So how do we approach it? We can approach it in one of two ways. Just sit back and wait and say, well, maybe what Pastor Jacob said will come about. Well, I can guarantee you nothing will come. The second way is move in and under the reign of the Holy Spirit to position ourselves for a new reign, the latter reign, to create new things. I've observed something about the moving of the Spirit. As I've moved in the Spirit over the years, as I've watched others moved in the Spirit, that the obvious result of the moving of the Holy Spirit is always healing, it's always restoration, and it's always deliverance. When you encounter the moving of the Spirit, He never leaves you the same. 
And I'm telling you, there's something new coming to this house. I feel it in my spirit. There's a knowing in my knower that we're crossing another threshold, specifically in the month of April. I can't explain it. I can't tell you what it's going to look like. But I want to prophesy to you that it's not by might. It's not by power, but it's by his spirit. And that if we will begin to cultivate that relationship with the Holy Spirit like never before, if we will begin to lean into the Holy Spirit, knowing that third person of the Trinity, knowing the personhood of God in the Holy Spirit, if we will begin to say, Holy Spirit, I want to know you more, we will cross that threshold and we will step into a new reign that we've never known before. But imagine this, bringing together both the former and the latter reign. An unprecedented outpouring of God's Spirit and what an amazing result must occur. So why do I pray for people the way we do? Why do we, why do we contend for some of the things? Why do we enjoy seeing, beca- seeing people become drunk under the power of the Holy Spirit? Why, why all of these things? Why do these strange things happen when praying for people? Because it is this, that in effect we're saying, God, deal with my dignity, deal with my ideas, deal with everything that holds me back from you, and I want it all. I want it all. We're positioning ourselves, we're opening ourselves to what we already have. Do you understand? You already have the fullness of the Godhead dwelling on the inside of you. You don't lack anything in Him. All that's lacking is your ability to fully surrender to it. And so the Spirit of God from the inside of you is beginning to chip away at the layers, the bedrock of trauma in your life, the bedrock of things that have happened, the bedrock of false beliefs. He's chipping away at it so that we might be fully surrendered to His move. So how do we respond? Enjoy it. Enjoy the move of God. I'm telling you, there's things that are probably going to freak me out. And that's hard to do. Sometimes we can't explain it. We can't work it out. Stop trying. The world of the Holy Spirit can never be relegated to be under our logic and explanation. Let me say this. The Holy Spirit is never answerable to you. He's never answerable to me. He can move how He wants, when He wants, because He's God all by Himself. So enjoy it. Might stretch you a little bit. It's good. You need to be stretched. You need to have a new wineskin. Number two, participate in it. The problem can seem, well, God, this is embarrassing. I don't want to fall on the ground. I don't want to shake. I don't want to laugh. I don't want to cry. Some of you men, I had a dream the other day that there were a whole bunch of men in here weeping and wailing. Let it be. Deal with the toxic masculinity that says you can't cry. That's the only toxic masculinity is it says you can't experience God because you've got to be put together and tough. David wept and he laughed. He was a mighty man. Jesus wept to the point that blood came from his forehead. I'm telling you, we're stepping into a time and season and I want to prophesy to the men of this church, rise up in this hour like never before. Don't settle into a complacency of what you think manhood is. Come into the move of God. Besides, he calls us the bride of Christ. Deal with that. When God moves, it confronts our conservatism. It confronts it. 
The move of God will confront the area that you don't want to surrender. And number three, expect God to touch you. Come with expectation and anticipation that today is your moment. Come to every prayer meeting expecting God to speak to you. Come to every small group expecting to be encouraged. Come to every service on Sunday expecting that God would encounter you. Expectation is the breeding ground for miracles. I think too many of us come and go, well, I wonder what's going to happen today. I'll just watch and see. Don't be a spectator. I've seen some of you at football games. You're a participator. Even though you're not on the field, I mean, you're like, don't do that. Don't know. Ah, ah. Got stress lines from watching a football game. Imagine if you got that amped up about the move of God. Imagine if you came to every service anticipating today's the day I get my miracle. Today's the day I experience the move of God. Today's the day I get drunk in the Holy Ghost. Today's the day that I see miracles flow through my hands. Expectation is the breeding ground for miracle. How many of you want it this morning? How many of you want the move of God? How many of you want to see God move in unprecedented ways? I'm telling you, it's not by might. It's not by, it's not by our power, but it's by His Spirit. It's by His Spirit. I'm telling you, I need some music, Kendra. It's by His Spirit. I'm telling you, the other thing I want to prophesy this morning is that there is going to be a sound released from this house in worship. I feel it in my bones. We're about to cross another threshold with worship. I'm believing that within the next three or four months, somewhere in there, we're going to have a full worship team that's going to carry the sound of heaven. It's going to release prophetic songs that are going to shift atmospheres the glory is going to come some of you have been sitting back for so long saying oh I don't think God will ever use me let me tell you the Bible says that his people will volunteer freely in the day of power why do we need the power of God because it awakens the things on the inside of you you didn't know were there it awakens gifts on the inside of you. All of a sudden, you're like, man, I want to greet people. I didn't like people three weeks ago, but I want to be a greeter now. <laughs> Mike, there's gifts on the inside of you. I'm prophesying to you now. Not just about liking people. Actually, if you know Mike, he loves people. Mike has a deep love for people. And Mike, there's gifts and administrations and ministry gifts on the inside of you that have gone dormant. But the Lord says they're not dead. Unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it can bear no fruit. And in this season, you're going to begin to feel the budding of the gifts of the Spirit yet again. God has not forgotten you in the wilderness. As a matter of fact, He led you there. He led you into the wilderness. And I can feel the Father's heart for you this morning.
you're going to begin to step into some new things this season, Mike. Get ready. You're like, oh, God. I'm telling you, I sense, I sense something new that I haven't sensed in a long time. The hellacious attack this week for me is an indicator. Any, see, see, the enemy, you need to understand this. The enemy can't steal something that God gives you. What he tries to do is prevent you from ever getting it. And I have some indicators this week of what's coming because of the warfare that I went through in my mind. The way the enemy sought to attack. Can we just get real about it? Because I know some of you are walking through it. I sat in my office last night wanting to write a resignation letter because the enemy was attacking so strong. You did this wrong, you did this wrong, you did this wrong, you did this wrong, you didn't do this right. Da, 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 da. The condemnation. Sometimes I'm a little thick-skulled. About an hour and a half of wrestling through that, I went, you dummy. This is the devil. This is the devil. Because he seeks to prevent you from going where you're supposed to go. Once you're there, he can't steal it. He can't have it. But the enemy comes to steal before you get there. So let your warfare be an indicator of where you're headed. Let your warfare be an indicator. Owen, I'm telling you, the East Coast, there's two men on the East Coast. Two men on the East Coast that are going to be integral in this next season. One, he's kind of a short man. I mean, everyone's short compared to you, but he's shorter than me. I can see him. He's older. And there's a second man. He's a person of color. Get ready. Spirit of God, we thank you for your presence this morning. We thank you for your presence. I don't want to interrupt your flow, God. I want to lean into you right now. Can we just tarry, church? Can we just wait a few minutes? Can we just wait on Him? Just wait on His presence right now. Spirit of God, fall fresh on us, we pray. Spirit of God, fall fresh on us, we pray. Come and move on our hearts, God. Some of you, you've been so disenfranchised by the charismatic church. I've been there. I know how it feels. My wife and I, we've called it charismania. Because it's some weird stuff out there. But I'm telling you, God wants to take you into the authentic move of God. I love what John Wimber used to say. Everybody gets to play. Everybody's invited to the table. Everybody gets to be in the river of God. This morning, right now, if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, you've never invited the person of Jesus to reign in your life, 
I don't want to pass by this opportunity right now. If you're in this room this morning, you've never made a decision to follow Jesus. You've never given him full reign over your life. I want you to indicate to me this morning by waving your hand at me. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I'm going to invite you to the table of the Lord this morning. If you've never made a decision to follow him, you might be watching by live stream this morning. But specifically, if you're in the room, you've never made a decision to follow Christ. I want to give you that invitation. I'm not going to belabor the point this morning. If you're in this room this morning and you'd say to me, Pastor, I prayed a prayer one time, but I don't think I ever, or I don't feel like He's Lord over my life. And I want to surrender to Him. If that's you this morning, I want you to wave at me. You'd say, I want to give my life fully to Him. I don't think I ever have. I want to dedicate it fully. All right, for those watching by live stream this morning, I don't want to go without an opportunity. Jesus came as a man, lived a holy, sinless life. He died a criminal's death on the cross. He suffered and he bled. He was put in a grave. And after three days, he rose victorious that we might have access to His resurrection power. We are dead in our sin without Him, but with Him we are made new. And I want to invite you into that crucified life to pick up your cross and follow Him. And so this morning, our church here is going to pray with you as we pray this prayer. It's a prayer of surrender. It's a prayer of repentance. It's not the prayer that saves you. Jesus saves you, and you're inviting Him in to be Lord of your life. Church, would you pray with me for those who might pray this prayer? Lord Jesus, I surrender my life. I repent of my sin. I give it all to you. I surrender to your Lordship. Every part of me. I believe that you are the Son of God. That you died on the cross and rose from the dead. Today, I choose to follow you in Jesus' name. Amen. This is what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to invite in just a moment Pastor Susanna to come and greet us, share a few announcements. As a reminder, today we're taking a second offering in addition to our tithes and offering. Taking up a special offering to sow into the youth pastor that God's going to bring us. We're on the hunt. We believe God has a couple specifically that are going to come that we're believing for to serve that generation. And so we want to sow into that in advance. And so I want you to begin to prepare your hearts for that. So after Susanna shares, I'm going to come back and receive our, our tithe and offering this morning. But I want to encourage you that after we do that, I'm going to pray for people this morning that want a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit. That want a fresh encounter. That, that want to say, I don't want to do it by my might. I don't want to do it by my strength, but I want to do it by your spirit. Amen. We pray that your life was impacted today by the presence of God. For more information about the Equipping Church or to give online, please visit www.equippingchurch.us.